0: Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and King Door Company.
1: Uh, there was a radio personality that had me on his show all the time, and then he began to he just bash me all the time. And but he's gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Not so fast, Padre. <laughs>
0: Welcome to Bakersfield Observed with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the new Bakersfield Observed podcast, recorded right here at American General Media Offices off California Avenue and Highway 99. This podcast airs weekly, and it complements the work of my Bakersfield Observed blog. You can access this podcast via Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can also get it on kernradio.com. Today, we're turning our focus to a major transition in our community, and that is the person who is replacing Lewis Gill as head of the Bakersfield Homeless Shelter and the Alliance Against Family Violence. That would be Ms. Lauren Skidmore. Lauren is no stranger to Kern County politics or civic work. She served as, were you director of the Kern Taxpayers Association, Lauren?
1: No, a Kern Citizens for Sustainable Government.
0: Current citizens, I, I stand
1: for. is still at Kern Tax. He's That's never leaving. That's
0: right. That's right. Uh, for sustainable government, you've worked as a key aide to Assemblyman Vince Fong for the past five years, and she's been involved in more local drives and nonprofits than I can I can begin to name. She's gained a reputation along the way as highly competent, engaged, and a committed public servant. Welcome, Lawrence Skidmore, to the to the podcast. Welcome. How are Thank you? Thank you for having me. All right, well, well, let's start with the obvious question. You're a young lady, you're 32 years old, right? FSU graduate, BHS graduate, you've got a long list of accomplishments. You probably could have done a lot of things leaving Vince's office. Why this?
1: It was a weird calling. Um, You know, Lewis and I had talked a little bit about his position over the years of knowing Lewis, and he asked me midsummer if I would ever be interested, and I said, absolutely not, no way you're crazy. Mm. Um, and then when he stepped down, we talked a little bit further and a little deeper about his role and the importance of both organizations. And so I considered it, went through the interview process, the board of directors with Bethany services, uh, they're fantastic people. I know a lot of them and I had deep conversations with a few and kind of just worked through my heart in the decision-making process. Um, I remember the day that I accepted the job, I felt so sick. I was like, this is the biggest decision I've ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, Sick as
0: in happy or sick as in... Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, okay. I
1: knew that the decision was big. I knew that my family was going to have to adjust because I've been home with them quite a bit over the pandemic and that this would be the greatest challenge of my career moving forward. So... I thought deeply and um, thoughtfully about accepting the position, but my heart kept calling me to it, and so here we are.
0: Well, let's talk about that. I mean, this this is not like other work, right. and I know you were in demand for other positions about town. Yep. Uh, I don't want to get too personal. You're a young mother. You have two children, Yeah. right? Uh, your husband's a, a police officer, mm-hmm. right? You have a lot going on in the world. This is a very, very demanding and what I think might be an unpopular job or at least you're going to have to have a thick skin because you're going to have people like me who they stick a microphone in front of them who are going to be bitch <laughs> Demand about. Demand response. You know, yeah. Right. Why are all these homeless people on the street and what yeah. is Lauren Skidmore doing about it? Right. Oh, it's a, it's a different animal. It's mm-hmm. a, and that's why it's an important job. But as you, as you noted, this is going to demand more of you from mm-hmm. y- yourself and your, by extension your family and your husband. Did yeah. you guys talk about that?
1: We did. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, obviously, I can't talk about it with my three-year-old and my one-year-old, but they'll adjust. Um, I think... I think for me, it was important to go into something that I knew would have an impact on on individuals and the community. Um, I wanted to show my daughter mainly, right, that a working mom is important, Mm -hmm. that she can grow up and thrive in an environment where her mom is busy and her mom will bring her alongside some difficult conversations. Um, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom and I'm so grateful for it, but I look back and think, gosh, my mom had so many opportunities too. And she decided to forego those to Mm -hmm. be with me. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that. I want to show my children that, you know, we can work, um, as moms and we can make things happen in the community. And I think with the homelessness issue, right, it's the most important issue facing our state, our County, and we're hearing nationwide. And I think, my experience with the assembly member and working through tough situations on the policy side has shown me that there is hope. There are solutions out there. It's just how we navigate and move through them. Um, Homelessness has a lot of dynamics behind the scenes that people don't know about. Obviously we want people off the streets, right? Mm -hmm. We want to see that people are not suffering anymore. We want to get the trash off the streets. Who want to get their tents out of, you know, visible sight. But I think there's a lot more depth to it. And of course, you know, I start this week. So um, I'll be learning even deeper into the politics and the policy behind it. But when I went through this thought process, I knew that I would be able to make an impact just because of my experience and kind of my heart for wanting to serve women and children and those in need.
0: Can we talk a little bit about your heart? Yeah. Uh, where where did this come from? I mean, this is a job that's not for everybody. Right. Uh, you're going to see what progress you see is, is likely to be very glacial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just not going to come fast.
1: Two steps forward, 20 yeah. steps back. Yeah. T- tell
0: me about what influences in your life. It, I mean, it, 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 was, was it your mom? Was it your dad? Was there somebody who stepped into your life who said these kind of this kind of service, this kind of this idea of giving back and community is important, and is something. How did that become part of who
1: you are? So my mom has always brought me alongside her when she's done community service, when she's volunteered. That was a really important element for her in raising me. Um, Wendy Wayne was actually Wendy and Jean have been a part of my life my, since I was born. Really, um, Jean and my dad. They
0: know, oh, they knew. Uh, sorry, yeah, they're sorry, very close
1: friends, okay. and. They were considered my godparents. Um, and Gene will always say I'm the daughter that he never had because he had two boys, oh. Benji and Larkin. But I grew up alongside them and watching, you know, Wendy's Heart for Service. Of course, everyone in town knows Wendy Wayne and mm-hmm. remembers her. And so she, of course, has kind of stuck with me as I've grown. Um, my dad is a, you know, cattle rancher, so working mm-hmm. on the ranch. He, we live in kind of a outskirts of town. We live this very rural quiet life but i've Your always smooth Smoot, right. yep right. but i've always been engaged in community service the year after i graduated college i did a year of americorps which is like a domestic version you of the peace did. corps okay. yeah and i served this small community right outside fresno state where it was known to be the most poverty-stricken small area Um, lots of crime. A lot of the individuals that lived in this community would commit crimes on the sororities and fraternities and the students that lived right outside of Mm -hmm. Fresno State. So long story short, um, during my year, we we teamed up with the city, with police department, with code enforcement and the students. And we created this whole network of kind of volunteerism Mm -hmm. and did a lot of great things for that community. It's now called El Dorado Park. It's completely transformed. It's a safe place. It's a Um, a place where a lot of children are raised in a safe environment, which was Mm -hmm. not the case before. Um, I have some wild stories of of kids that were just in the depth of heartache and despair Mm -hmm. from that community. And that really stuck with me. That whole experience was transformational for me. I decided soon after I got back to Bakersfield after that experience that I would pursue my master's degree in community development. So Mm -hmm. I have my master's in community development, which is kind of more focused on like city or county planning mm-hmm. but um that kind of solidified that i wanted to do boots on the ground work impactful work in the community
0: is that what led you to politics to work for vince yes yeah, yeah. that's been a great run i mean oh, you yeah. guys have seen just from the outside as uh r- not inseparable but you really work well mm-hmm. together
1: oh yeah talked to me about that vince and i met just going to events when I was with Kern Citizens for Sustainable Government. We were, of course, at every event together. So we just got to know one another. Mm-hmm. Um, his campaign in 2016, I helped you know put signs in the ground and helped him kind of go through the process of working through his campaign. And um, I was his first hire when he was elected, and I gladly accepted. You know, mm-hmm. he's a great friend, and I knew that he was going to support me and that I, in turn, was going to support him. And so we had we had a great time. The mm. the greatest thing about working in an elected office, which people don't see unless you do it, is that you get to really get to know depths of the community that you would never get to know otherwise, mm. right? So I've met people yeah. in Ridgecrest and Taft that are the most amazing humans mm. that Are so dedicated to their community that love what they do, love where they live, but most people don't get to see that or meet those people. That's interesting. Um, And so I really enjoyed my experience. Vince, as you know, is an amazing person. He thinks deeply, Um, he enjoys working with people, he's collaborative, he's non combative, right? He thinks deeply about issues um in Sacramento, he works through policy well. I mean he this is his life. He's been doing politics yeah. for over a decade and so he is he's really a great elected official. There's there's not knee jerk reactions coming from him or our office, which has been a good I've experience. I always thought
0: that Vince is, is, is one of the great servants around yeah. and I and I admire Vince because precisely because I don't I, I don't perceive him as an ideologue. I no. perceive him as a guy who wants to get something done. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I appreciate it. Did you talk to him about this when this opportunity came up? What yeah. We say? had,
1: we had a few conversations. I of course asked him for his advice and guidance and never wanted to blindside him. I wanted him to be a part of the process Um, You know, my role as district director is an important one because when he's away, I'm the boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, you're the person that is the face for him when he's gone. So if a misstep happens, you know, you have to account for it. And he did the role for Congressman McCarthy for many, many years. So Mm -hmm. it is an important role for him. And it was an important decision for me to leave and make sure that he was in a good place. You know, that the team that we have could step into the role, could take over, could ensure that there was no missteps for him um so yeah we talked a lot about it and he was very supportive Hmm. he was very very supportive which was great
0: you mentioned a couple times how working for Vince is going to be valuable in your new roles let's talk about that a little bit and actually take a second here for people who aren't really familiar uh, about what goes into this work exactly what are your job duties as ceo yeah
1: (laughs) what isn't my job duty i think is the bigger question Um, You know, going into this, there's going to be a lot of continuing processes that are already in place. Lewis did a great job of making sure he had a very capable management team. Um, There's not a lot of open positions across the board on either a nonprofit. So, you know, we are stable as far as staff goes. And as far as the daily operations, I think one of the greater um, aspects that the board is looking at me to do is relocate the campus, right? So High Speed Rail purchased That's um, right. That's in the, the yeah. homeless center yeah. a few years ago. I think we've only got a few years left on this lease. So I will be tasked with moving that campus and building something beautiful and amazing for our women and children. I don't know if you've been on the campus recently, but mm. it is in dire need yeah. of some some upkeep and you
0: can't raise money to fix no. who, who wants to give you money to fix a roof if you're just going to tear it down exactly in a few and, years? and yeah.
1: they haven't been you know they've been kind of working through what they have and and even with the expansion of beds over the last few years because we've needed more beds um that place is cramped packed um with yeah. people and just it, we really do need to relocate so i think that's going to be the number one priority moving forward um of course there'll be some marketing and some basic aspects of the job. There's operations. Is it an
0: operational job or is it a fundraiser? I mean or is it is it's it both. all up? It's gonna be you know. both.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on the operations side, you know, the Bethany services on both nonprofits rely heavily on government contracts. So there is so much we do behind the scenes to make sure we're meeting the government contract requirements, right. that we're staffing, that we're you know, grant process is always underway, you know, yeah. our grant writer is always busy. So a lot of those things will work through. And then as you know, there's lots of politics in the world of homelessness. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, that
0: that, that that should serve you well, is how much of uh, your budget comes from grants as opposed to mom and pop fun, fundraising? I,
1: I really don't know off the top of my head, but I would say majority okay. based off of some of the numbers I've seen. Um, I haven't, been able to dive deep into the budget quite yet but I would say majority of our operations comes from um, either HUD so on the federal side or now Hhap on the state side hmm.
0: is that is that government public support sufficient how do they determine I mean how is there a set formula that that the homeless center gets, per diem or whatever every year? How do they establish what funding priorities?
1: So what's interesting is there's kind of some conflict um, on the state versus federal side. So the federal side has been funding homeless services for many years through HUD. So um, the Department of Housing, per se, is the one that oversees kind of um, how funds are distributed. And it's a very competitive process. Mm -hmm. So most of the providers in the homeless world are all competing for big dollars okay. and it's based off of very strict criteria. It's based off of the housing first model and kind of the there's some definitions in there that are difficult. Um, on the state side, they've done a much better job of creating more flexibility around what can be funded and how it's funded. So. Um, the state is is really allowing locals to kind of maneuver through what contracts need to be filled and what services need to be provided. Um, it's very it's an interesting dynamic behind yeah, the scenes, yeah. but um, it's it's conflicting. So um you know the point in time count which happens once every year, mm-hmm. that has a lot to do with the way each county and each collaborative is is funded. Um, which when I was working with vents, we, we were very frustrated by the point-in-time count because how are you supposed to get an accurate count of individuals within a four- or five-hour period one time a year? That's been my
0: criticism. Yeah. If you won't go out in certain hours, and I understand maybe you know some, some inherent dangers there, but yeah. it, it, it seemed to me we, we might be woefully undercounting. Is that your opinion?
1: Absolutely, and yeah. I also think that... You know, when you see somebody on the street, that doesn't mean that there's not somebody in somebody's home. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody couch surfing that's not also, in my mind, considered homeless and or on the brink of homelessness. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've done on Vince's side, we've done some mobile home park issues, which is a whole nother conversation. But these are people that really are at the brink of homelessness on a monthly basis, depending Mm -hmm. on if they pay their rent or not. Right on Um, the edge. Yeah. yeah, So I, I think it's a much deeper issue. I think. Um, unfortunately the community, you know, they're seeing folks on the streets and that is the biggest eyesore, but they don't realize that behind the scenes, there's just so much work that goes into it and and trying to decipher who is homeless, how to count them, you know, how we fund them, how we provide services for them. Um, yeah, it's an interesting you're, dynamic. You're,
0: you're taking over at, at a very critical time. I mean, you could yeah. argue that it's as bad, homelessness is as bad mm-hmm. as we've ever seen it. Yeah. You know, that coming off the pandemic and now yeah. we have the, the, the eviction moratoriums are ending. There's yeah. a lot of factors in play. The public is... Uh, angry a lot yeah. of them tired absolutely. of seeing this visual pollution tired of if you're a shop owner finding somebody has uh, used your front porch as a bathroom or whatever mm-hmm. uh, this is a tough time to, yeah. <laughs> to go into are you yeah. ready for this
1: absolutely yeah. yeah you know I've been doing politics and politics in California has been far from easy so um, definitely used to the battlegrounds but I think it's important for people to remember that as providers so there's you know many of us Carlos and Jim Wheeler and Anna Lavin on the collaborative and even Stacy with the new behavioral health director mm-hmm. um, everyone is is trying to find solutions that are sustainable um, those take time and those take funding models and mm-hmm. so we're trying to figure out behind the scenes what that looks like how the funding can be put in place and we have barriers you know we have real government barriers that keep us from being able to initiate change quickly
0: Mm -hmm. well let's get to the root of this i'd like to hear from you as the new head uh the new ceo of why are we in the situation we are i mean let's talk about some of the state laws and different things that have contributed to this and what's your view of that
1: i think there's a lot of factors um you know i think ab 109 prop 47 prop 57 has has some effects that we might be seeing on on the homeless side. I think there's been a crash of services over the years, and now the homeless providers are feeling the depth of, you know, a crash of other unique entities, other unique government services, and now we're having to kind of clean up the mess. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, these are human lives that have been kind of worked through a really – poor system that have just been slipping through the cracks, that have not been given the support network they needed. um, And now here we are trying to find the best solution for housing them and giving them their basic needs. Um, I think that there's been some models put in place on the federal side that, you know, housing first is a big one. And I, completely agree with housing first models because it works, right? We want to get people in a home, but I think the wraparound services was not a push initially. And now it's starting to be, and we're going to see more success. Now we don't have enough housing, um, actual units to be able to get people quickly into homes and out of the shelters and off the streets. So because of major building costs, because of CEQA, because of some massive, um regulations we're just not going to be able to get these units up and running quick mm-hmm. enough yeah um i mean government has great intention but the implementation is always where the problems happen
0: let's talk about this housing first thing because i want to understand this better and i want to push back a little bit i intellectually i understand uh, let me just throw out a couple scenarios let's say you have a single mother with a couple kids
1: mm-hmm. being
0: housed in a shelter fall on hard times maybe yeah. has been homeless for six months or whatever desperately wants to get her kids back in, back into school you know i look on a situation like that they're perfect for a housing first mm-hmm. you know absolutely then i see the crazies out at california in 99 and i go those people aren't ready for housing i mean i don't know what they're ready for but they they don't look like a good bet to me. So when I hear housing first, I'm thinking how do if if the public's frustration is more with the panhandler on the street than the mother who we don't see on the street who's doing what she can to get her family together, how can housing address
1: all those issues? Well, I think what needs to happen is kind of this crossover approach. So I think we're going to start seeing from behavioral health some more um in-depth exercises at treating those individuals you're seeing on the street. Um, I know that there's going to be some expansion of services coming soon. I don't know what they look like quite yet, but we're hearing that you know Stacy and her team are willing to kind of up some services to see you know, the models that have been done in other areas it's to see like if the they work. It's ser- like yeah, the wraparound service. Yeah, the wraparound services. And when you say wraparound, you're talking
0: about if you've got mental health issues, yeah. it's getting a mental health professional yeah. with that matched yeah. up with that person. Sure. Or okay.
1: when we talk about wraparound services, it is literally walking somebody through the basic aspects of life. So making sure their children have transportation to and from school, making sure okay. they have doctor's appointments, uh, making sure they can get to their doctor's appointments. Because you know, mm. a lot of homeless individuals or people that have just come off the street you know, schedules are out the window. So, um, housing first is kind of the dream. It's the goal, right? It's where we, it's what we work towards. Mm. There are obviously people that are not ready for that. And so now we have to come to them and figure out how to provide solutions to Mm. them. Um, the mental health aspect and the chemical dependency aspect is huge. And I'm Mm. really glad that we're finally starting to, Um, take a look at it and not ignore it and not pretend like, you know, oh, those are just individuals that we can't deal with right now. We're actually going to start dealing with them. You know, as a wife of a police officer, I have heard in depth about some of these issues and just how the system does not serve them. You know, there's nowhere for these individuals to go. And, you know, as we've released a lot of um, individuals in the criminal justice system you know we can't we can't get them clean and we yeah. can't get them um, into a stable place in jail so now we have to provide a new element for them um, the mental health issue is huge it really is going to be probably the most pivotal over the next year or two to see if we can get people off the streets.
0: You know, they say one in four of the U.S.'s homeless population lives in California is that right?
1: That's true that's the okay. stat I've heard yeah.
0: And and, and is, is that because it's got to be more than the weather. I mean, is, oh, yeah. is that because of our, we are more lenient, we have better services, or...
1: I don't know. Is that I would a good imagine, or a bad thing? Yeah. I would imagine it has a lot to do with, you know, housing prices that have increased drastically, you know, over the last decade. I would imagine it has to do with, um, you know, what people might consider great job opportunities and they come here. In L.A., for example, you come for a dream, and then you end up on the streets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, i think all those things are very real and i think in other states the regulations around housing are nothing compared to california Mm -hmm. i mean we really cannot get things built fast enough here Um, what builders and developers have to go through is pretty crazy Mm -hmm. Um, and now we have skyrocketing costs associated with you know lumber and steel and things like that and there's a lot of elements that go into this but i think we've done a really bad job of ensuring we can streamline housing, especially right now with the demand for housing for low-income individuals. What
0: well, I'm hearing you saying, and I wanna hear it from you, is don't expect fast progress, that there's a lot of right. things, given how hard it is to build homes here, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. California's situation is unique. So would you tell your husband or other people, people like me who are who are saying, well, we got we got Lauren Skidmore coming in, but boy, that's that's a mess out there. Yeah. What what does progress look like? How do how do you what metrics do you use to say or what, what 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 might your board use to say that other than, you know, keeping the thing afloat and raising money, that what does success look like?
1: I think that Bethany Services has a different model for success compared to others, but, you know, success for our organization looks like have we done all we can do to provide these individuals with the most loving care to ensure that they can live a life um, without trauma, without hardship, and that they feel safe, right? Bethany Services is very focused on ensuring an individual feels safe and comfortable. Um, It is a slow ride. It is a slow progress um, from the outside. And it's hard when you are an individual that have dealt with deep trauma, whether it's domestic violence on our Alliance side or just being on the streets for years, you know, working out of that is, is a long process. There's a lot of, um, stability support that needs to go into, into that individual. So, I mean, we, we look at success kind of from the heart versus from the actual like data points. Um, from the collaborative or from kind of the overall homeless perspective, you're right. I think it's going to be a very slow moving battleship. Um, of course, everyone wants quick change, and I would say, you know, our community moved very rapidly in 2018, 2019 when we had deep conversations about homelessness. You know, you see two new shelters that are up and yeah, running. Right. Um, we've moved very quickly in trying to, um, create more beds to create more solutions. And as we create more solutions for some, we have new people now on the streets. So the eviction moratorium that you mentioned earlier, it ended September 30th for California. We are going to slowly start seeing a whole new round of individuals and what it'll be interesting because it'll be like a cycle, right? So what units now that we've been fighting to become available because people are not paying rent and, or they're just not good tenants. um, We will be able to clear those out and put good, families that are ready to go into homes now into those units, but then the people on the streets are going to be interesting and could be a a more difficult cycle. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to be dealing with this for a while. This is not, unfortunately as much as I would like to say, Hey, my new shelter will provide, you know, a cleanup of this whole area. It's not going to be the case. Um, we have to, as a community, I mean, patience is not the right word because you know, I'm not even patient when I see people suffering on the street, I'm not patient about it, but, um, we have to know that this is a large ship that is maneuvering through very rapid waters, and um, it takes a long time to turn. It really does. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, it, it, the, the public generally, the American public, has the patience of a, of a hummingbird, <laughs> and they, they look at this and they say, wow, uh, you know, uh, millions of dollars have been S- spent on the m street Correct. navigation center on the brundon center right. state-of-the-art stuff mm-hmm. uh, tried to address some of the problems as you you can bring your dog you can bring your stuff i mean kind yep. trying to overcome the uh
1: the barriers how there.
0: much of your job is going to be managing expectations of the public because the public looks at that and say okay well we got these places open i, I don't see any difference on the streets what are we doing
1: Well, I think myself, along with all the other providers, are just going to continue to march the march. Um, You know, of course, there's a lot of demands for fixing the issue, but we have to just remind the public of the barriers that we're up against. Um, You know, these, some of the funding models are difficult to maneuver through. Um, You know, I haven't quite even worked through all of the different definitions. I know. From our perspective, it is harder for us to provide services for families based off of some of the definitions that are out there. Mm. Um, there are some barriers we're going to have to communicate through. Um, there's there's more funds that are necessary for us to quote unquote fix the problem. Um, And of course, people see, you know, millions and billions of dollars coming down the pipe from the state. And it feels frustrating that there's still no visible solution off the streets. But I think it will come. Um, (coughs) Right now, we're just building, you know, infrastructure and programs. And we're trying to figure out what works. And, And these are you know this is funding expansion that has happened rapidly and it probably should have been happening over the last decade mm-hmm. and even before we saw this massive issue on the street ideally we should have ramped up and prepare prepared services ahead of time but that's not how government works so yeah, right. um, we are in a reactionary state and so we are trying to figure out the best models the best solutions um, you know i have worked alongside a lot of these individuals you know when working on the assembly side and Really, everyone in the homeless world is trying to do exactly what the public wants. You know, they, more than anyone, want to see people off the streets and in their shelters so they can provide the best care for them, so they can get them out of these trauma-stricken um, areas that they're living in and get them in a place where they are safe and not having to kind of scrap around for, for their basic needs. Um, no one wants that more than the people working in the homeless shelters and, right. and on the streets. So,
0: Are, are, we, are we witnessing something really important here in terms of uh will we ever get out of this or will we ever get back to where we were i mean given all you know you you have you have all the formula that seems to 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 set us up for we're going to have this problem for a long time between the laws and the decriminalizations have we seen have we reached a point here where we're going to have to get level with a get, 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 get okay with a level of homelessness that we haven't had before?
1: I would say yes, unfortunately, because I I think this state and the politics around it are just not meeting the demands of what's necessary to provide homeless services. Um, you know, as we know, we're Kern County, we're in a very red community compared to the rest of the state and the rest of the state doesn't quite see the policies as the issue. They don't see the mm-hmm. regulations as, as the barrier. I think over the last maybe year or two, there has been some deeper discussion on housing and the regulations around housing, especially from our LA counterparts. And they are starting to have conversations about some CEQA exemptions. And for those that don't know, CEQA is California Environmental Quality Act. Mm-hmm. And it was put in place to make sure that some basic environmental Um, issues that come with development were not harmed right so that could be an endangered species that could be um, air quality but what's happened is it's now been kind of the stopping point for any Mm. new development Um, it is created I mean you should see these documents on that we have to go through on the planning commission it is thousands and thousands of pages of just deep dive into all these environmental issues and for some it's I mean, the solar companies have to do it in the desert, and it's like, well, do we need clean energy? Yes. So, what's more important? You know, at this point, is this the species that could be endangered with a, you know, what percentage of possibility is it worth it to um, spend months, if not years, uh, understanding how they operate versus building this energy source that can get our communities in a better place and more Mm -hmm. reliable energy? I mean, the balance is just not there. So, I think it's going to be a long time before we see um, policy adjust to really help this issue. California' is the Sacramento area and and the way the legislature works is very different than the way our minds work down here in Kern County and I know, folks are frustrated. Look, I've been doing it for five years. I've been frustrated day in and day out watching it and, you know, seeing kind of our local elected struggle as they're trying to just Mm -hmm. create common sense solutions and their bills are knocked down, you know, in committee every day. So it's, it's a frustrating process. Um, it's one of those where you have to just keep beating the drum. I mean, you have to keep reminding folks in Sacramento that these things are not working. And while it feels like, okay, here's a politician saying the same thing, mm-hmm. nothing's changing, you know, it is reaching somebody at some point, whether it's a staff member or another counterpart down in LA who's like, you're right, this regulation is causing harm, even in our communities, even though our our folks are the ones who created it. Yeah. I think it does at some point create deeper conversation um, it's just slow because our politics in California are so swayed one side, yeah, and yeah. they're very protective of their policies. I'm
0: glad you brought that up. so is 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 homelessness a partisan issue? because people in uh, a conservative area like Kern County are going to look at it as as you noted it in a whole different way, as you might in the Bay Area. Right. You come from working. For a Republican assemblyman, you, you mm-hmm. see, you, you, you just rattle off some examples of what you see as as well-intended legislation that is that is backfired. Is it, how, how much of that is uh, how much of that is part? How much of that is is an argument that comes down on party lines?
1: I think serving homelessness is nonpartisan hands down, right? Because everyone has different solutions, and it really doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. Um, statewide we're all dealing with the same issues but every community is different and i think what is hard is government creates this overarching approach right they create this ideal policy solution and like i said earlier implementation is where we fall flat and we have to allow locals to come up with solutions that are better fit for those communities so for example homelessness in kern county is vastly different than some of the smaller communities in LA who have high rises on every, you know, that's Mm -hmm. all they live is in high rises where we have rural parts of our community that are hard to reach. We have homeless individuals, you know, along the riverbed that no one else in California understands or has to deal with. It's a different type of homeless Mm -hmm. service. So um, we need to allow more localized approaches. We need to really focus and allow the collaboratives, which that is the reason why collaboratives were created was so there was a very local um, look at how to solve the issue. And I think when you're in Sacramento and you're elected official and you think, Oh, this is a great solution. Selfishly, they think it's a great solution for their community, but they don't think about the remainder of the state. And that has been an issue that we've dealt with in Kern County, um, all up and down the central Valley in comparison to our big Bay area cities is they create policies that, are not a fit for us. Yeah. Um, you know, even
0: so there's no room to customize it for your own local audience or your own local, uh, customers, so to speak.
1: I mean, not from a policy perspective. They yeah. try. And I think the collaborators are trying. I think, um, one thing the state has done is with their funding, HAP and others that it's more flexible. It is coming down to the collaboratives and going through kind of the housing authority model and allowing a more localized approach. But in general, when policies are created, it is, it is very rarely with a, a wide collaborative yeah, approach it's right. just difficult for the central valley we are outnumbered
0: right. you've mentioned housing first a few times where did that phrase come from is that is that a stated priority of the state
1: i would imagine yes and it's okay. a, it's been a stated priority for the federal government for many many years i got a small little history lesson but a individual named philip mangano is the one who created the housing first model um, quite a few years ago and so the funding and kind of the Policies and programs are geared towards that model. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bethany Services has found um, there's been some barriers with that model for us. Um, what those look like, I'm not. I'm not quite in depth with it yet. But we're moving and we're trying to adjust and adapt to these kind of strict guidelines and kind of this this goal and this place we all want to be. And we're trying to trying to look at it in a black and white perspective, but really every homeless service is this gray area of Mm. every different individual, people Mm. with different types of trauma, people with different scenarios and needs, right? One woman could have two kids and another woman could have six. And so for our shelter, it's like, okay, we have to, we don't have enough room for them all in one Mm. room. So now we have to figure out ways to provide services in a safe manner. I mean, it's just, it's difficult.
0: Yeah. Is it possible for you to succeed in a state or a county or wherever where building housing uh is is so expensive and you have people who invest or i mean this is really this is a return on capital who are yep. going to look at this as why would i build it for them when i can build something else over here right is is it possible to succeed when when you you can't get the number of units you want
1: I think it is possible. It's just going to take quite a bit longer than we want. Um, I mean, providing services for individuals is always possible as long as the funding source is there and the people willing to provide the services are there. Um, Of course, we have a very giving community in Kern County, so Mm -hmm. there are lots of people that are going to be dedicated to providing their own personal funds to solving the problem. But yes, it's going to take a quite a bit of time if we don't have the units available, and we can't get all these people into the shelter because we're impacted. Then yeah, we're going to have we're going to have a slow um, response. It's just kind of the reality.
0: All right. You mentioned earlier that uh, the, the, you're going to have to move the homeless shelter. That it's in, it's uh, it's being replaced by a high speed rail project if that ever comes Mm -hmm. is is this a good time to do that even though it's it's a pain in the ass and you're (laughs) gonna have to i mean but is it a good time in terms of your when you look at your services and you look at the physical plant and you think okay uh we we can do something different than we we've done before is what what is the new how is the new place going to differ from the old place
1: We'll provide a lot of the same services, so we will have our on-site daycare, which is a huge asset for the individuals living on our campus so they can either go to their job through our jobs development program, maybe they have their own job and or they're looking for a job. How many kids do you have in daycare any oh, given gosh, day? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I know we have over 100 kids that usually are at the shelter. 100 um, kids at the shelter yes, at any one time? Yeah, but the daycare is for non-school-age children, right? So younger, so okay. those who aren't quite in school. We right. make sure all of our kids have access and are enrolled in school when they get to our shelter as well Um, so we have quite a few kids and I think right the long-standing change that you see in an individual has to we need to provide support for them so those kids that are in this system um, in my opinion this campus is providing them basic needs but it's not providing them this this um, motivational environment right Mm -hmm. it is we have hard dirt on campus there's not a lot of grass Mm -hmm. Um, it's very impacted quarters it's not a really exciting place for them to be because over you know we've been in a stagnant state since high speed world purchased our property but this new campus is going to provide so much hope for them you know we have a lot of things built into the new campus a a play area and a Mm -hmm. water area for them to go if it's hot outside and um just some things so they can create memories and know that they're supported. Mm -hmm. And then when they do go on their own, they probably are going to have a better chance at succeeding because there's not going to be trauma from their time at the shelter. It's, it's going to be something they've kind of worked through and hopefully we've created a very happy and motivational environment. So yeah, it's a great time. Um, It's, it's going to be, any time's going to be a good time to give them more and to provide them with a cleaner, safer, happier environment. Um, It's never a good time to (laughs) build a shelter because, Folks are just not happy with the reality, right? Gotta so get the NIMBYs um, out, there's going to be know? nimby's, and I think I think we're going to have to work through it, and we just have to ask people to be patient and understanding. And um, in reality, if they if if you don't want it built next to you, well, those individuals are going to find somewhere to go, so they're still going to be on your streets. Would you rather them be on your streets or near and around yeah, our shelter? Right. Um, I'd rather them be close to our shelter so we can provide them services, do outreach, you know, give them their basic needs, so they're not knocking on your door and sleeping on your on your doorstep. Um, but it takes a lot of patience. As a business owner, I can only imagine how frustrating it is to wake up every day and have to hose off your sidewalk yeah, and deal right. with these things. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to do it, but we have to. This is what we do when we create right. community partnerships, and we have to love one another, and it's it's difficult. It's frustrating.
0: Tell me, uh, uh, do, do you have a couple sites picked out? Are you close to... to agreeing on uh close to purchasing a site
1: i haven't gotten deep into it but from what i know yes i think there's some um there's a location i think it's um hopefully it'll be ready to go here soon and we'll be able to kind of hit the ground running um, we have already some amazing donations in place to start out our campus um, There's still going to be quite a bit to raise as far as um, capital funds but I think we will probably at the beginning of next year be announcing some exciting things. So Excellent. It'll be it'll be quick. The holidays are here and then boom we'll be able to announce something. Lauren
0: Skidmore, you have your hands full, but you I look do. like you're ready for it. It'll be, okay, let's wrap this up with give me tell me something I don't know about your work dealing with the people who call who who look to the homeless shelter. To, to get them through the day tell me something because i think the public's the public's image of homelessness unfortunately is too often formed by mm-hmm. the nuts we see on the street yeah and we don't see what you're going to be walking into every day tell me something yeah. surprising about that
1: you know the staff that i have met thus far at the homeless center side are just amazing human beings um you know I would say she's my right hand girl, but um, Mary Scott, who has been with the Bethany services program. She's worked on both the Alliance and the homeless side. She's been there since she was 19 and she's in her thirties now. So she has worked her whole professional career at serving these organizations. Um, There's, probably 10 other individuals that have been there at least a decade. And these people are dedicated. They've been there a long time. They are passionate about the individuals they serve and they are providing them in depth, you know, casework and social support. Um, These are people that want to make sure they don't slip through the cracks, that they get all of the necessary services they need. So doctor's appointments, transportation, food, mental health um, appointments, all of those things need to be supported by our staff because these individuals that are homeless don't know how to do the basics and make appointments and do those things. It's life is hard, right? Being an adult and kind of working through all of this is difficult. And that's what our staff does. They do amazing things for people. Um, And that's why it's important to allow us to continue to provide these services because without them, you're going to have people on the street that are completely clueless on how to even take a step forward. And our people do that. They walk alongside them and make sure that they can have a sustainable future. Um, We have great people. We really do. Um, And I'm looking forward to kind of diving in and getting to know both organizations deeply and understand the work. Um, I think From my perspective, right, from kind of a policy politics perspective, I come from, you know, generations of cattle ranchers where we work and we live on the land and we kind of live our own quiet little life. Mm -hmm. And we can't do that anymore. We very much as a community have to kind of step forward and step out to at least having empathy and understanding where these people have come from. Uh, Most of them don't want to be there. They don't want to have to deal, deal with the trauma they've dealt with or the situations they've been in. They have seen things that a lot of us have never seen or could even fathom. Um, You know, life has been difficult for them. And we need to make sure that we are supporting them from the ground up. And it's difficult. It's going to be hard. And, you know, at least from my perspective and our organization, we are doing it. We are supporting those individuals that come through our door. We are doing everything we can to make sure that they have a chance at success that they can then recontribute back to society. Um, you know, our jobs program is amazing to watch. We have homeless individuals working the jobs program right now that are getting skills they've never been taught mm-hmm. before. You know, now they have job opportunities on their resume, they can move forward in the community. They now have, you know, basic wages to be able to pay their rent and kind of move through the process and become citizens just like you and I, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's difficult. And, you know, I'm frustrated too. I would love to be able to, you know, build a ton of shelters and provide all the services we need, but the funds aren't there, but we'll get there.
0: Okay. Lawrence Skidmore, uh, you will start on Monday the fourth.
1: Yep, tomorrow. All right. Yeah, uh, we'll tomorrow. Start
0: soon. All right, we look forward to having you back. Will you come back when Absolutely. you have some, uh, some more news about the the new shelter and all that?
1: Of course. All come right. back anytime, Richard. Very anytime. good,
0: Lawrence Skidmore. Thank you for coming on, and good thank luck you. to you.
1: Thank you. All right. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and King Door Company.